Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we'll be speaking to college and university leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of higher education and picking their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, the Evolution's Editor-in-Chief, Amir Alawalia, speaks with Nicole Westrick, who is Associate Vice Provost at Temple University. We talked to Nicole about the state of continuing education and how to manage the challenges around decentralized non-degree education to stand out to non-traditional audiences. Let's get into it. Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time out to join us today. We really do appreciate it. Now, I want to start off by talking about, uh, I guess, the state of continuing education to a certain extent, so easy stuff. What are some of the most common obstacles that face continuing and non-degree education divisions today? That's a great question. I think there are a couple of things that are really sort of the big hurdles. One is that continuing education and non-degree education has been operating sort of in some cases at the fringe of universities, at the edge. What that means is that we're really good at innovation. We're really good at creating new things. We're really good at being responsive. There is a need for whole institutions to be better at those kinds of things. And so continuing education, non-degree education units are being pulled closer to the center. And that pulling in is sometimes constricting our ability to innovate and to really deliver the programs that are most needed. That limitation also means that sometimes we have to find new ways of operating, new ways of thinking, and that needs to help inform the broader institutions, right? So you have to think about what's the institutional mission, what's the institutional goals, and how does your unit align with that strategic direction? And many times, non-degree continuing ed is not part of really directly stated in the mission. I think the other obstacle is that the market itself, the opportunities to learn and have access to non-degree education is far more saturated than it even was five years ago. I mean, you can choose from dozens of providers to provide that education. And so you're not the only sort of game in town. You're now competing with really high-tech companies that are very sophisticated in their marketing and their promotion. And so you have to keep up with some of that to be able to succeed in the marketplace. Absolutely. Now we're going to get into some of the obstacles that the kind of slapdash approach to continuing education has created, but I want to get into the slapdashery a little bit. You know, I think for, for many institutions responding to the demand for non-traditional education becomes kind of side of the desk projects. Why is that? I mean, why is it compelling at an institutional level to be responsive to demand for for non-degree and continuing education programming in that way, as opposed to just saying, you know what, our focus is 18 to 22 year olds, they come out of high school, we serve them for four years and then they become alumni, that's what we're good at, that's what we're gonna focus on. Why even respond to the market demand? The jobs that existed 20 years ago, many of them don't exist. If we even look back, the jobs that existed 10 years ago and were high demand, many of them have been automated, like AI, machine learning, robotics, all of that is replacing jobs and work and labor as we know it. So if we are not 
sort of doing that innovation and being responsive to the market, we're not going to be able to meet the needs of our students. The other part of this is that there is no one job for life model anymore. If you have 20 jobs over the course of your career, you're lucky. And some of that is even across industries, across domains, fields, all of that. And so continuing education has this obligation, right, to be that place where you can come back to and and expand your education, what you're learning, and get a new start, new career, new path, right? And that's, I think, the most important part of this is that's why we need to be innovative, because we need to serve our students who no longer come in, get a degree, and have that one job for life. That's not the model anymore. At Temple you know, you and your colleagues kind of noticed that the way the institution was responding to this broadly, well, I mean, you didn't notice it, it was what was happening, uh, was kind of every faculty would develop their own approach to serving the non-degree or continuing ed market. Those programs would live within the faculties, they'd all be run independently, they'd be siloed from one another. I don't know if it was an active commitment to decentralization, but certainly that's kind of the, the direction the institution decided to take when it came to its non-degree strategy. What are some of the most pressing issues or challenges that decentralization created? So decentralization, I think related to that, issues around responsibility-centered management, those things create silos. And what happens when you're in a silo is that you sort of don't think about those cross-disciplinary or interdisciplinary opportunities. Part of the the need to centralize is really this ability for any faculty member to stand up and deliver their content to students and not just traditional undergraduates or graduates, but students who come to us from all sorts of spaces and places. And so it's about access, right? It's about sort of making these programs available. But if you're operating in a silo, if you're a faculty in computer science and you wanna teach machine learning to a whole new audience, people who are interested in technology but don't have a technology background, if your school or college is input into that continuing ed model, if it's decentralized, you're done. Your program, you can't even get your program off the ground. That centralization empowers these new programs to be created because there's infrastructure and support, not control of the programs or what programs are delivered, but instead just a place where you can say, hey, I want to create a new non-credit certificate, or I want to do a workshop on this, or I want to host a conference on this topic. It's really easy to stand up and do, and you don't need to have a full team of administrative support to help you do that. So one thing that kind of jumps out at me is that when we talked about like, what are the reasons that an institution would pursue a non-degree model and non- an approach, whether it's decentralized or centralized in the first place, is to respond to learner need and learner demand. How does the decentralized model impact the student experience for, for a learner who's trying to access those, those offerings or for a learner who's trying to leverage those offerings to get to the end in the first place? It's like navigating a maze, right? So if you've been through the maze before, it's really easy. You know, this is what I do. I go to this office. This is how I enroll as a non-degree student. 
But if you haven't navigated the maze before, you're going to hit a lot of dead ends. And for many students, that first dead end, that first obstacle is enough to send them somewhere else where it's easier and they're able to be supported in a way that helps them. There is no maze, right? It's fully transparent. It's fully, they're able to navigate it. And so when you're fully decentralized and everyone, so at Temple, we have 17 schools and colleges. If every school and college used a different registration system or a different approach to getting transcripts, it would be incredibly complicated even for the smartest individuals to navigate. That commonality makes it easier for people to navigate such a broad, diverse system of schools and colleges. A plus simile. Well, it's, it's neat, right? Because I mean, what you're framing out is basically like, look, the institution exists to support students who are trying to achieve their goals. The, you know, we do that by creating, you know, schools and faculties and departments who are specifically designed to hit different elements of, of that experience that a student might need or learnings that a student might need. But in creating such diversity, you know, when we ran on pa paper and pencil, it made the most sense for those, those departments, those faculties, those schools to operate independently because right. at a certain point, how many places can a single piece of paper go? But in 2021, you know, that, that system starts to look a little more muddled when we have the capacity to, to, to sort of run everything simultaneously through, through powerful technology. Right. That's, yeah, it's kind of wild to think about. I mean, it, it's funny sometimes when I think about the fact that our university system is very much still mirroring what monks did in the 1200s to, to create a system that would work. And, and here we are in, in, you know, in some cases, I think the University of Bologna was, what, 1200? And we're still doing things relatively the same way. Right. And I think that that's part of the challenge, right? And that's what you see in the best continuing ed units is that they're thinking differently. They're going to employers and saying, hey, what are the skills that you need? Here's how we can build that for you. People are not wanting to come back and do you know, even a two years master, they might want a certificate that's three courses that gives them the skills that they need for right now. And that speaks to this fundamental shift in how we are employed, how we engage with the world of work. So, I mean, taking that, that example further, how does micro-credentialing and, and, and sort of the stackable credential model start to fit into this future of higher ed where continuing education is not an afterthought. It's not a side of the desk project, but is a strategic imperative for the institution itself. It's a couple of things. One, I think the writing is on the wall, right? Like we, we finally see as institutions that people want education delivered in different modalities, that people want the shortest path to the best credential, and they want to know that what they're gaining from a credential is meaningful to employers. So for better or worse, higher education has been synonymous with employment, right? And an employment outcome is part of the driver. And so I think that this idea of thinking differently, even the idea of the credit hour, for example, in some ways, 
could be upended by this whole sort of continuing evolution revolution within higher ed. And so what we need to be thinking about is what is it that we're actually wanting as the outcome? Is it that someone gets the next promotion if they're coming back to us as a continuing ed student? Is it that they've changed careers and they've gone in a different career path as a result of earning a credential? And how do we do that in the way that's effective for the student as a learner? Not necessarily most effective for the student as an individual because every student has slightly different goals, but if learning is our outcome, how do we make sure that the paths that are most effective for those students are available to them? And I mean, it kind of brings us right back to, to where we started, because then as we start talking about, well, you know, what are some of the obstacles that a decentralized model creates? I mean, it's the navigability of those pathways to outcomes. So, you know, as higher ed leaders are trying to figure out, I have 10 departments offering 50 different approaches to doing non-degree programming. We need to create seamlessness. We need to create some semblance of structure. What advice would you share for college, with, with colleges and university leaders who are trying to manage the challenges created by decentralized non-degree programming? You know, if I were talking over coffee or cocktail with my fellow higher ed professionals, I would ask them to find the pain point. Find the pain point in the biggest unit doing continuing ed and figure out how to solve it. Because if the biggest unit has that pain point, then the smaller units definitely have that pain point. So whether it's that they have to make a big investment in tools that are unique to that continuing ed unit. So things like learning management systems, things like in this era, access to Zoom, right? We're totally dependent on Zoom. Access to credit card machine, like payment processors, right? That meet all of the university requirements around security. Find the pain point and solve for that, right? Solve a problem because what will happen initially when you start moving from a decentralized to a centralized model is there is distrust and especially in an era where you're competing for ever decreasing resources, people are going to make an assumption that you're trying to get additional resources. Really what you want to do is have all of your continuing education units be successful. And then once you do that, once you solve a problem, there's trust. And then you can really start to build those synergies across programs and saying, hey, you know, you're doing this project management certificate over here. Did you know that engineering technology is also thinking about doing that? We shouldn't compete with each other. Let's talk about how we tailor a single offering and figure out models that work for each group of students rather than creating duplicative programs. And that's really, I think, the way you approach it is you solve someone's problem, they trust you, and then you can have really frank conversations about, hey, here's what we could do if we worked more closely together. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting. I was actually thinking about, because that, that's the advice you, you shared that in an interview we did a few years ago as well, where you talked about the process of sort of how you got institution-wide buy-in as you shifted to this, I'm, I'm going to call it a consolidated administration model. 
and and you took that approach. You had meetings with all the deans. You really got into what their issues were. You really started tackling like what are the problems that you're having when it comes to managing your programs independently. Can you share a little bit of, of your recollections around what some of the most common problems your colleagues were facing? Lack of integration to university systems for residential programs lack of access to basic university resources, i.e. the library and research academic journals, um, seems so fundamental and basic, but students weren't being fed into the system that the library used. And so they didn't exist in the eyes of the library. And it was a whole manual process of data entry. Payment processors and compliance with P PCI compliance less of an issue now, but when I, we were doing this, basic web presence, having the ability to have a website that was professional, reflected the programs, because again, many of these offices were one or two person offices or were a faculty member who was doing lots of research, doing lots of other work and wanted to do some additional educational workshops, this wasn't their full-time job. And so taking away sort of all of that, you said it best, administrative burden and finding ways to allow the system to do that work really helped sell the idea of centralization for the system. To close out, we're in a marketplace where college and university leaders, with the exception of those who are at a very specific tier of institution have to find ways to serve more adults, have to find ways to create access pathways for, for working professionals, really need to focus on, on building out those on-ramps and off-ramps to create that comprehensive institution. What else can higher ed leaders do to stand out to those non-traditional audiences who are looking for access to upskilling and reskilling education? So I think the first place is to look in your own backyard. So at Temple University, our founder, Russell Conwell said that there are diamonds in your own backyard, right? That's like his thing. And so you need to look at your own student populations. Who are the students that have left your university without a credential? How do you go back to them and serve them? What, what are their needs, right? I think finding those big employers and organizations that you can partner with and identify those opportunities where your programming aligns with the needs of the employer or where you can tailor things to better fit the needs of that employer. I think being student-centric, right? Like thinking about the experience of a working adult who may be working one job, maybe working multiple jobs, maybe working shift work. How does your institution feel welcoming and open to those students? Do you only have hours from nine to five? Or have you thought about maybe staying open till eight o'clock one night or having weekend hours? Like thinking about the things that you need to do as an adult that you have to figure out how to make happen within the context of your full working professional life. And I think there's lots of value in taking that empathetic approach of what is it like to be a student today? How does that student experience your institution? and really documenting that very clearly. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. 
Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, presidents and provosts can work with Modern Campus to create pathways for lifelong learners while marketing and IT can deliver Amazon-like personalization and instant fulfillment. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of today's modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.